Welcome to Synergistic Healing. I'm your host, Kristen Bango, and today we're talking with Dr. Kalia Waddles from Functional Fertility. Kalia is a functional naturopathic doctor who specializes in fertility and hormones. Today, she's going to talk all about estrogen metabolism and why that's important, and the estrobolome and what that is and why we should be aware of it. I think this is a really exciting episode today because we're talking about a lot of things that I think are new topics and stuff that you may not have heard about when it comes to uh, maintaining happy, healthy hormones and periods. So we're going to dive in today's episode and I hope you enjoy. Hey there, today we're talking with Dr. Kalia Waddles. She is a naturopathic doctor and she focuses on women's health and fertility. She's an undergrad in nutrition and she loves to talk about all things hormones related. So today we're going to talk about estrogen metabolism and estrobolome, um, which is... So it's the um, microbiome in your gut that has the capability to metabolize estrogen. Awesome. So we're going to talk about all that good stuff. And before we get started, I thought, you know, for people listening out there, could you just explain a little bit of like, what is it, the difference between a naturopathic doctor and maybe um, your traditional MD or, and what is functional health? Yeah, sure. So naturopathic doctors are trained in primary care medicine, just like many of our MD counterparts. We study anatomy, physiology, the basic sciences. We can prescribe medications in many states. So we have the foundations of you know, the same as a medical doctor, but we also have some additional tools like botanical medicine, physical medicine, so we can do chiropractic adjustments basically. So we have just a really well-rounded uh, toolkit where we can pull from to make sure that we're meeting your needs. And then many of us seek out additional training in functional medicine, which uses a systems biology approach. So we look at all of your body systems and how those are working together to kind of contribute to your overall health outcome. And functional medicine gives us a really organized way to kind of plot out all of your determinants of health and find out which area needs the most support. And we know that when we identify that area and we give that support, how that health can spill over into your other body systems and creates just a really robust, healthy individual from all of their determinants of health. I love that. So we're focusing on individuals more as a whole person, not just like in the absence of illness, but like physical, mental, social, emotional, all the, all the pieces of well-being combined together to create kind of a whole body approach to, to uh, health, basically. Absolutely. It's personalized medicine. It's root cause medicine. So we're always, you know, looking for the root cause of what's going on with someone, and then we're tailoring their treatment to be just perfect for their exact needs. Gosh, I love that. I feel that's how all medicine should be. <laughs> I mean, me too. <laughs> not, just a special, not just a specialized area. Exactly. I actually saw a quote the other day that said, one day it won't be called functional medicine. It'll just be called medicine. So we'll yeah, see. Like, we hope that's coming soon, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so we, you talk about all things hormones related, hormone related, all things like women's health. I love it. And you were talking about something that I think is not really mainstream yet. Now, I love gut health. I like yeah. read about it all the time. It's like kind of my, um, it's like the thing I read about when I'm not reading about the stuff that I do is like gut yes. health. It fascinates me. We're just scratching kind of the tip of the iceberg in terms of what gut health, you know, what the gut and the microbiome does in our body, which, so it's, a, I think, a really exciting time for like bacteria in general. Yes. <laughs> but, Bacteria's prime right now. <laughs> But you're talking about this, um, well, estrogen metabolism, but this estrobolome, which I had never even heard of till I saw you post about it. 
And I was yeah. like, I gotta, I gotta know more about this. What is this? Um, so we touched on it a little bit, but what is uh, kind of estrobolum? Yeah, so there's all of this really interesting emerging research that's showing, you know, I think many of us are familiar with the term microbiome now. So we know that there's bacteria in our gut. That's why, you know, we're taking things like probiotics and eating fermented foods. I think that's a, a pretty widely accepted concept. But all of this research is coming out showing that many of those bacteria can actually help you metabolize estrogen. And so I think to describe that, it might be helpful if I tell you what normally happens in the gut with estrogen and then kind of what can go awry. Yes. But basically we have this system where, you know, we were producing estrogen from our ovaries mostly or adrenal glands or even fat tissue a little bit. And then that estrogen is going into the bloodstream. It's circulating all over the body and binding to receptors and doing its job. But it has to be detoxified somehow. You know, we, we have to recycle our estrogen. So what normally happens is that estrogen goes through circulation and goes into our liver. And then in the liver, we uh, can put it through a process called glucuronidation, which that's a huge word to describe the fact that we attach the estrogen to an acid. And that makes it water soluble. So we can then, it can enter the gut, we can excrete it in the bile and then the feces and urine, and we can get it out of our body because we don't need tons and tons of you know, we're constantly producing estrogen, there has to be an entrance and an exit. So that's the normal way we, we attach it to an acid, we're able to excrete it. But what can go wrong is in the gut, there are bacteria, that microbiome, and those can produce an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase. Now this is normal, we want this to happen because we need to um, use this enzyme to cut that acid off of some of our estrogen, and that way we can reabsorb that estrogen. So that kind of gives us some control over how much estrogen is in our body. We're excreting some of it, we're reabsorbing some of it, and that allows us to kind of um, maximize the or optimize the estrogen that's in our body. But we don't wanna keep all of it. And so if we have too many bacteria in our gut that produce this enzyme called beta-glucuronidase, we are making all of our estrogen able to be reabsorbed. So we're absorbing way too much of our estrogen. Or it could go the other way where we don't have enough bacteria that produce that enzyme and then we're excreting all of our estrogen. So this kind of is a slippery slope where our microbiome really determines how much of that estrogen is getting excreted and recycled, and it can really affect the circulating estrogen in our body. And I'm sure we'll talk about more the problems with having too little or too much estrogen, but my point is our microbiome is now being identified as a huge point of control for our hormonal regulation. And it's actually really exciting to me because we have so many tools that we can use to, you know, modify that intestinal microbiome. And so it's, it's a new, exciting target for hormonal regulation in a very long-winded answer. No, that was awesome. And I was like soaking it all up because it's super fascinating. So have they made any, or, or do you know of any um, correlations they've made with specific like bacteria strains? Are these something you could get from a probiotic? Or is it like those lactobacillica type ones that you get from a pill? Or are they um, kind of more specific and, and specialized. Yeah, so there's quite a bit of research actually showing, you know, which bacterial strains produce more beta-glucuronidase than others, but I think the really important part is that 
what the research is really showing is that it's a richness and a diversity of the microbiome that leads to the most optimum hormone balance. And so, you know, I'm such a believer in probiotics, and I think that's definitely one way that you can adjust your, your microbiome if, it's, if you have dysbiosis. But I think the point is that we, we, with our lifestyle and our diet, we encourage a richness and a diversity of microbial species. So, you know, then we have some, micro, some um, microbes that produce the enzyme and some that don't. And so it's just a really perfect balance. So I always, you know, I, probiotics are an, an adjunctive treatment for me. We're going to focus on diet and lifestyle first, and then we're going to add the supplements. So yes, there, there is research to show which microbes, which, which microbes produce which enzymes, but I don't think that's the take-home message. Yeah. Um, so that's great. So we're going to, we'll talk, we could talk a little bit more kind of at the end about like how we're going to boost that and those kind of natural yeah. things, yes. but Love let's it. talk. So let's circle back around a little bit to the, um, we talked about the estrogen, right? And we have to mm -hmm. detox it. So yeah. what happens like if we're not detoxing them properly? Uh, I know you mentioned there are some uh, problems that can arise in one way or the mm -hmm. other. Yeah. How does that kind of manifest in the body? So the biggest overarching umbrella term that I think we can think about is estrogen dominance. And this is a big deal. It's a really hot topic in functional medicine right now. And estrogen dominance is it can be either you have too much estrogen in your body or you have um, kind of a not ideal ratio of estrogen and progesterone in your body. So estrogen and progesterone, they're kind of opposing forces. And so maybe we have too much estrogen or maybe we have not an ideal ratio of opposition to the estrogen. And so we need to detoxify or remove excess estrogen for a couple of reasons. The first thing is, too much estrogen or estrogen dominance is associated with lots of conditions that are not wonderful, you know, PCOS, endometriosis, fibroids, and even if it's not something diagnosable like that, weight gain or mood swings or really tough PMS. And so we want to make sure that that estrogen level is balanced so that we can avoid those conditions or symptoms. And then the other thing I think about is we have a lot of estrogen pollution in our environment. You know, it's not just the estrogen that we're making in our body, which our body, you know, is more capable of processing and recognizing. But we're also being exposed to estrogens all over the place. You know, it's plastics in our food and estrogen-like chemicals that bind to our receptors. So we're being exposed to these things all the time. And so it's really important that we're able to process those things too and move them out. And a big deal that I think about with having too much estrogen exposure over time is our risk for estrogen-dependent cancers. So breast cancer is the biggest one. And so if we want to avoid you know, all of those conditions, we need to make sure that our estrogen balance is controlled over time. And estrogen dominance, you know, it, it, the risk goes down as we're getting older and enter perimenopause and menopause. But it's something that, especially in the reproductive age women that I see, I can really maximize this and maximize their estrogen detoxification pathways now to set them up for health protection in the future. So it's risk management in my mind. I love the term that you use estrogen pollution, because I think yeah. that when lots of people are talking about plastics and like, mm -hmm. 
you know, why we shouldn't be using that kind of stuff. People don't understand why, but the, the term, I, I don't know, I really, I don't think I've ever any, heard anybody else say estrogen pollution before. And I think that puts it in a, a more easy to understand kind of terminology when you say it that way, because they're like, well, what does that even mean? Like, why do I have to avoid plastic? What does it mean? It has like estrogen activities in my body or whatever, however people describe it. So I like that term estrogen pollution. I think it's, it's a good one. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm always a little wary because especially when I start to think about, you know, plastics and our food supply and all of this stuff, it can get a little scary and overwhelming. And so I always, when I'm talking about estrogen pollution, I always want to give the, the statement that, yes, these things are happening, but we have tools, you know, we have tools to support the detox pathways and, and we're aware that this is happening. And so we have some control. It's not just something that's happening to us and it's scary and we all should be terrified. <laughs> Well, that's a great point to make because like you're saying, if you have these tools and your in your body's detoxifying the estrogen properly, when you have some exposures that you can't control, then your body's better equipped to deal with it. Instead of being like, I always use the analogy for like everything. When your cup is full, you can't yes. add anything to it. It's going to overflow. Now, if you're, if you're, you know, mostly um, kind of staying away from those things and you're, you're detoxing your estrogen properly because you've kind of put all those steps in place that we're going to talk about later, then when you do have those exposures that come along that you can't control, then your body is going to be like, yeah, I can, I can handle this. And it's just going to get rid of it like it's supposed to, instead of building up and building up and building up. So I think that's an important um, kind of takeaway too, that yet you have some control when you're focusing on the things that you can control. And then when you can't control it, you know, your body's functioning well so that it can deal with it when you can't. I love that you used the, I use a bucket analogy, but yes, I do that all the time. And then when we're doing our lifestyle interventions or our supplements, I'm like, this is our way that we drain the bucket, mm -hmm. take some down. And then when you add a couple drops, it's not overflowing yet because we're draining at the same time. So I love that you said that. I use that all the time. <laughs> it makes so much sense to think about it that way. The first, I actually have to give credit to my mom because she was the first, she has like seasonal allergies. And so yeah. she was the first one to ever use that analogy with me. And I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Because she was like, when you have all these allergens coming at you, then those, every little one's going to like send you into like a sneezing fit. Right. Exactly. Um, and I was like, that applies to so much. I'm going to steal that. Yes. Love it. <laughs> so easy to conceptualize that it way. It sure is. Uh, so can we talk a little bit now we have estrogen dominance. We talked a little bit about um, the different conditions that go along with that. And then, so should we break down a little bit, like kind of what that looks like when you maybe, so people understand kind of some of those symptoms and stuff that might be associated with estrogen dominance and, and then what kind of testing maybe should they ask their doctor about if they suspect that this could be an issue? Yeah. So like I said before, the estrogen dominant conditions are um, things like endometriosis or fibroids and those all respond to not only our endogenous estrogens or the estrogens that we're producing in our body, but also those outside estrogens. And so one thing that's really important to understand is that estrogen in the body is proliferative. It causes things to grow. And so when we're thinking about things like fibroids or endometriosis, which is um, kind of lesions throughout the body that respond to estrogen and grow, that's a problem. And so whether or not, you know, the estrogen is coming from our body or from an outside source and it's causing those tissues to grow, that's increasing their pathology. 
in something like PCOS, it's more of um, a too much estrogen, maybe not enough progesterone. And so, like I said before, maybe your level of estrogen actually looks okay, but we need to look at how it compares to the other hormones that they kind of all work in concert with each other. And things like, you know, PMS or heavy periods or mood swings, that's another thing where I think more of, it's less um, a, a frank estrogen dominance, but it's kind of an estrogen progesterone ratio. So um, one thing that I really like and have been studying and maybe you've already talked about this with someone else, but the Dutch test. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with Dutch test, but the stride urine testing for comprehensive hormones. And that's certainly an option. Um, I think a lot of functional medicine doctors are looking into that as being a really great way to kind of do an assessment of many of your hormones. Mm -hmm. um, but these, the good thing about these hormones is it's something that your doctor can, you know, whether you do the urine testing or whether you do a blood draw, it's something that they can look at. I think the challenging part for many people is that we have to look at these hormones at certain times throughout the menstrual cycle. And so it's kind of something where you have to um, number one, be willing to track your menstrual cycle so we know which day of your cycle that you're on. And then, you know, you have to have the flexibility to go to the lab and do your test on this certain day. Um, so there, there are some challenges, but the great news is these are hormones that we can look at easily and we can, you know, assess ratios or levels at certain times of your menstrual cycle. So I think we have a lot of tools to look at those. And what I love about functional medicine is we have so many ways that we can, you know, in a stepwise fashion, start to introduce those. And so um, when I was in naturopathic medical school, we learn about kind of um, a therapeutic order where we start with our interventions at the lowest level of invasiveness and work our way up. So, you know, we can look at your hormones and say, okay, this is something where we know maybe you just need to get more sleep or we need to add more fiber or, you know, we do your diet, anti-inflammatory stuff, and then we can move on to supplements and then we can move on to hormone replacement therapy if we need to. So the answer to the question is we can, these symptoms are all something that we can measure and then we can intervene in so many ways. And I like how you said too that that you start at the kind of the lower level because not yes. everybody's going to have to like you don't have to go and find out maybe you have a little bit of estrogen dominance like go crazy on all these prescriptions and it's not like there's always something you can do so when you're starting and and you might just need to do some tweaks to your diet you might just need to add in a couple supplements to get you over the hump until your your estrovolome is yeah <laughs> correctly um so i like that you use that um, kind of start at the bottom. I do the same thing in, in kind of my practice when I'm talking about uh, herbal remedies and different things like that. I'm like, we start with kind of, we get precision, right? And then we start with kind of the, the easiest things to implement before we go crazy yes. on these huge supplement protocols. Because what, if you don't have the nutrition and, and the, all that part in place, like you could take supplements I call it the supplement graveyard. If they're not yes. working, there's something else you have to tweak. And so I love that you kind of start there as well, because a lot of physicians, you go in and, and they just want to instantly put you on the, the prescription. And, and then yeah. we get ingrained to think that we need kind of the quick fix or, or like the pill. And, and there's so many little things that you can do, switches in your everyday life that can make big impacts. And mm -hmm. so I think that's a great point. So yeah. if we're talking about um, kind of the, back to the, the microbiota and how it affects, yep. what are yep. some things that 
I know we talked a little bit about the estrogen pollution. What are some of the other things that could that we could be doing or or um, being exposed to that could kind of disrupt that? Yeah. So one of the major things is medications. So antibiotics, obviously, and I want to be clear, I am pro antibiotics when you need them. I am when not you need them. Yes. Antibiotics when they are, you know, indicated. Um, but we have to acknowledge the fact that they do change the microbiome. And uh, I think probably the most researched is ampicillin and how that actually increases um, increases the estrogen conjugation, so decreases overall estrogen. And then they've looked at other antibiotics that do the opposite. And so I think the take home message is anytime we're taking antibiotics, we can expect that there will be a bit of a shift in our microbiome. And whether, you know, depending on the composition of the microbiome that you started with, maybe that doesn't affect your hormones and it's not a big deal. But I think if we have someone who takes antibiotics, maybe not for a week, but maybe, you know, sometimes people are on antibiotics a, a bit longer term. Maybe we look at what their hormones are doing and that antibiotic use could be a trigger or a mediator of their hormonal dysregulation. And so I think that's something that mainstream providers aren't thinking about when they see a hormonal imbalance, they're not going, oh, well, what, you know, non-hormonal medications have you been taking? Um, and then, of course, oral contraceptives, we know, cause some shifts in the microbiome. And again, I think those are totally necessary when, um, you know, they're indicated for someone, but we just have to be thinking, what is that doing to the microbiome? And then estrogen-like compounds that enter the body bind to estrogen receptors. Um, those actually also have some activity within the microbiome. So those also cause a shift in microbial composition. So I think we need to think about what medications are we taking. Um, I also have some points about diet that we can talk about. So what foods are we eating? And then what are we being exposed to? Those things can all contribute to um, the estrobilome composition. I love that because it, it, I think people see it, but they don't fully understand like, oh, that's acting just like estrogen in my body. And so if you're already, or if you're already having kind of issues with that, then it can, it's going to exacerbate it basically. Yeah, and it's really interesting just while we're on that point, I will say that in some cases, um, we actually can can use estrogenic things like flax seeds right. therapeutically. So what we know is that sometimes those um, estrogen-like compounds that come from outside the body, they actually have a weaker estrogenic effect in our tissues. And so you know, if we're having a case of estrogen dominance, we can sometimes use those estrogenic foods because they'll have less of an estrogenic effect. It can be a bit therapeutic. We have then less, you know, estrogenic effect on our tissue. So less of that proliferation or growth. So things like fibrocystic breast tissue or endometriosis or fibroids. Um, so there is a balance and we can use that activity to our advantage, but we just have to be cautious about what your hormonal needs are. Yeah, I love that because you basically, you have to make sure you're picking the right tool for the job, right? You don't just throw yes. everything but the kitchen sink at, at a problem and hope it sticks. You find out what the kind of the root cause is, like we were saying before, and then you use kind of a precision um, protocol to, to correct that instead of, I know a lot of people when it comes to uh, like natural health or supplements, they want to take like a little bit of everything and they're like, I'll just add this in and this is supposed to be good. Yeah. 
this is supposed to be good for hormones of this. So I'll just take it all and then something's going to work, but it's not, that's not really the best approach. If we get some of those testing done or we find out where the root cause is coming from, then we can pick, like you're saying, flaxseed might be a great option for someone, but you know, or they, but then they start taking flaxseed and they start taking like the DIM, start taking all the things and then, and they end up going nowhere basically, <laughs> basically. Exactly. And, then it, and then they're like, if this doesn't work. <laughs> yes. And then that's so hard. And I always tell people, we want to avoid you just having really expensive urine. Right. You're just peeing out all of your supplements and nothing was at a therapeutic dose and nothing took effect. Like, like you're saying, let's be really precise and focus on the interventions we know are worthwhile for you. And then we can maximize where we're spending our money and our time and our energy. And we know if this treatment's actually working because we chose, you know, one or a couple right. things and we went for it. I use this kind of same approach in, in when I do like herbals remedies and all that kind of stuff, because I'm like, if you do, I see a lot of people and, and it kind of upsets me when I recently read a book actually, and they were um, using ginger for uh, like cramps and, and, yeah. and um, pain associated with like PMS in your period and stuff. And they were talking about it and they had used a study that I've actually quoted before myself. And then, but then they were like, so if you have like PMS or cramps or pain during your period, you can drink ginger tea. And I'm like, no, that's not the right dose. That's not what the study said. You're not using it in the right, you know, you're not using it in, in a therapeutic dose. Like you were yes. saying, I was like, if you want the effects of this study that you're quoting, you have to use the same, <laughs> the yes. same dosage that they use. So it, it frustrates me a lot when, when we look at kind of some of these in, in my field, but you know, uh, natural remedies and then but you're not using them in the, in the correct doses. So you can't just drink some turmeric tea once a day and then expect your arthritis to go away or whatever it is that you're using it for. Those therapeutic doses are super, super important. And that's usually why a lot of people, it's not the things that they try aren't effective because they're just not using them the way that they, the, the research shows that they're effective for. Yes. I, I get fired up about that. I love it. <laughs> this is something I get fired about up about too. So I love hearing you say that. That's something that I, you know, I tell people all the time when we're talking about nutrition, because I always want to give the disclaimer of we're going to try really hard to do as much as we can through food, but it's just not always possible. And we're going to have to maybe call in some supplements because we can't eat, you know, an unlimited amount of foods to get these therapeutic doses. And mm -hmm. it's, it's very important, like you're saying, that we get those doses high enough that they're going to make a difference. I, I like that you say that too, because sometimes, um, like when I talk about any supplements or anything like that, I'm like, I don't generally, it depends on the situation, obviously. I don't use them like never ending, typically. Mm -hmm. I'm like, we use them to get things boosted back up to where they're supposed to be, to get over a hump while we're working yes. on other stuff. Supplements aren't necessarily always, you know, obviously, again, there's certain situations, but like lifetime things, right? They're supposed to be kind of, they're tools. They're not like the fix. It's, if you're just using a supplement, it's like the band-aid, but they're, you know, you got to get to those root causes. So I love that. That's, that's a great point for, I think, people to hear. So yeah. I, we're going in supplements. Let's talk about what can we do to um, diet or nutrition or supplements, whatever yeah. your, your tips are uh, yeah. for boosting the microbiome so that we're detoxifying yeah. estrogen and we're, our hormones are happy and, and we're happy. And, and we're all, everyone's happy. Everyone's, everyone's hormonally happy. balanced everyone's, and in a dream. Right. Yes. To say like, you don't have to have like super um, 
kind of the way we people have been brought up, I feel like, and we're seeing like, oh, happy periods. You yeah. don't have to be like super miserable during your period. Like it might be oh. common, but it's it's not normal. Like you could, you can have pleasant periods. You don't have to be like angry at the world and like doubled over in bed for three days with cramps. There's, there's things that you can do to kind of ease that. So I think the, yes. I mean, that's what we're getting into, but yes. I just thought that's an important point to make because you don't have to feel like crap. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. There is a difference between common and normal. It's, is it common for people to have a lot of PMS symptoms and terrible periods and they're miserable? Absolutely. Is it normal? No, that is not normal. And I saw a quote, someone um, had made a post on Instagram the other day that I saw and she said, pain-free periods are our birthright. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love that. That's so true. And we deserve that. And we, you know, when I'm talking about, so my business is called Functional Fertility and I always want to make the point that Functional fertility, in my mind, is not about getting pregnant the day that you want to, and it's not all about baby making. It's about knowing your reproductive health and being in touch with your reproductive health, which allows you to plan and, you know, whether that's planning for babies or your business or being creative or how you want to live your life. Like, knowing, having power and being empowered to take charge of your reproductive health, meaning, you know, having babies and just your period, that's everything. And I think, you know, I, I won't get too crazy about the female, but I have two little girls and like, this really means something to me that we're able to kind of take back the power with our periods. And so, um, yes, uh, to make a long story short, we don't have to ha be in pain all the time. And so, um, I'll start with diet and how that can affect our microbiome and our estrogen metabolism. And it's interesting. I saw, um, I was reading a study that said that we have increased beta glucuronidase activity. So an increase in cleaving the estrogen and its acid, which will lead to increased estrogen absorption. So more estrogen in people consuming diets that were higher in fat and protein. And so I think that was really fascinating right now in the age of, you know, keto and high fat diets being real popular that, uh, you know, I, I haven't seen a lot of people looking at how that's affecting our hormone balance, but it's, it's an important, I think, thing to consider that higher fat, higher protein diets um, are going to have higher estrogen reabsorption, so higher circulating estrogen. And then another thing that the strict vegetarians have an increased excretion of estrogen. So this particular study that I looked at, they compared strict vegetarians to meat eaters and the strict vegetarians had 30% lower circulating estrogen. And so, you know, I'm not saying that either one of those dietary- It depends on your, situ your personal other, situation, right? Mm -hmm, but yeah. it's just, the message is just, you know, our diet has an effect on our hormones. And so that's a really important part when someone goes to the doctor and they're having- symptoms of hormonal dysregulation and no one ever asks them what they're eating or what their lifestyle is like like that's crazy to me and that's happening you know not well, that happens on everything every level right it's not yeah. addressed as it should be exactly and i've seen so many patients where i you know I, I do a full dietary recall and talk to them all about their dietary philosophy and they're like this is no one has ever asked me about this before and they've been to all these doctors and so I, I know that in, in your world and in mine, people seek out doctors that ask those questions, but it's happening out there that that's yeah. noticed. Um, so I think as in terms of gut health and, and our diet, I always think about how can we add more fiber? 
How can we add fermented foods and those foods that are going to, you know, stimulate a really robust, uh, I love that term of richness and diversity in our microbial composition. And so I love to focus on, um, you know, we talk in functional medicine about a phytonutrient spectrum, which basically means eating from the rainbow. And we even use this little checklist where we have, okay, here's our red foods and our green foods and yellow. And I think when we eat a variety of foods, we encourage a variety of bacteria in our gut. And so those are the thing, a really colorful, fiber-rich diet, fermented foods if we can, and then we can also call in a probiotic. The other thing that I love to do with diet that particularly relates to estrogen metabolism is liver support. So obviously the liver is the main organ that we're you know, inactivating essentially our estrogens. And so making sure that those detox pathways are open in the liver is so important. And so I always say, and I guess my perception is a little skewed, but I feel like it's sort of easy to do liver support foods, which in my mind are dark leafy greens and root vegetables and things that are bitter or sour. So I always tell people, you know, let's get a dark leafy green salad. Let's roast some sweet potatoes, or if you're really brave, roast some burdock root, which is an excellent liver support food. And let's squeeze some lemon on there. And that's like the most amazing liver support meal. And so I always, you know, we can do a lot with our diet. We can support our microbiome. We can detox the liver. And then another aspect of that, which is not as popular is alcohol. So alcohol actually increases beta-glucuronidase activity. So we're cleaving our acid from our estrogen, we're recirculating our estrogens back into our body. So basically more alcohol, more estrogen. And that's not ideal for everyone. So I always tell people, I'm so sorry, but I have to tell you that, you know, that glass of wine, it, it may not be um, super healthy for your hormones, but we'll do our best. And, and the other part of that is like, maybe we cut it out temporarily and maybe when our cup's not so full, we can add it back in. That is exactly right. Nothing is forever. And, and I, you know, especially when people are doing an elimination diet, I always tell them, use the bucket. We're draining the bucket and then these things can come back and we're going to see how it goes, but nothing is forever. <laughs> I'll use a little personal story. I used to, I had a, a like a period in my kind of healing journey where I reacted to quite a few foods in terms of, yeah. um, for me, it was migraines and I cut a lot of them out. I went really, um, I actually did do more of a, I was kind of having the, like some blood sugar issues and all that. So I did go a lower carb, uh, for like an entire year. But yeah. then when I started adding like things like tomatoes were one for me, different foods that triggered me after doing that and like kind of cleaning up everything. Um, mm -hmm. They don't bother me anymore and I can eat them like freely and with no problems. And I almost never get migraines from food now, uh, yes. except, except for nitrates, which I don't need to add back in anyways. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's sometimes it's kind of one of those things where like, once you get your gut like functioning where it's supposed to be, yes. again, then your body's like, all right, I'm happy again. Yeah, go ahead and, and eat those, those things that used to bother you. Doesn't always happen, but it can for sure. You can, and there's hope, and it's so wonderful, and I love that you brought up gut healing. Obviously, we're talking about hormones, but, you know, leaky gut and how all those are associated with inflammation and how that affects your hormones and your insulin, and there's this whole relationship between, you know, metabolic endotoxemia, which relates to leaky gut and things that we're letting into our bloodstream that wouldn't normally be there, and, and how inflammation from that can you know, affect our hormones. And that's a whole other conversation, yeah. but 
the, the, but it's all interconnected. That's the it's point. It's all right? interconnected. And that's functional medicine. It's systems biology, right? It's all connected. Mm-hmm. All of this research that's emerging about the, the brain hormonal axis is just fascinating. Oh, the systems are all talking to each other and it doesn't serve us to treat them as separate entities. Yeah, I love that. And and when you, no matter kind of what your issue is, I know we're talking about estrogen and, you know, the, the microbiome as it relates to estrogen, but when you um, start working on these things and you're like, okay, I know I have some, you know, some of these estrogen dominance things at play or whatever it is, it trickles through everything. Like it's not yes. going to, you're not just going to get all of a sudden like say, oh, I have happy periods. You're going to like notice it trickles through every area of your health and wellness and life. It's not just a kind of a, a one and done thing. It's a, it's a snowball effect once you start working on this stuff, which is really kind of fascinating when you make those realizations. I love seeing people like, oh, I started doing this, but I notice it here as well. Yeah. Yes. I think it's really fascinating when, you know, we start getting our hormones balanced and then I hear from people like, oh, all of a sudden my sleep is really great or, or my cognitive function is so much improved. And it's like, see, we didn't even think about these things being related, but you know, as we've made the point, everything is connected and there is a snowball effect. And by getting our hormones into balance, that's going to bring so many other body systems into balance. And it's, just going to make an individual so much healthier as a whole. Yeah, I love it. I feel like we could kind of wrap up here, but I do want to uh, like circle back to one thing you were saying. Yeah, I yeah. think this is super important. Um, when you were talking about the diversity in your diet, yeah. I, I recently um, was reading an article and it was talking about how different microbes in your gut feed off of different foods. So um, yeah. Have you, have you seen that too? I mean, like, can you verify that for me as a doctor? <laughs> yep. Yep. That is absolutely something that I fully believe in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, I think the research is there that certain microbes respond to certain food groups, mm-hmm. but I think that patients don't, you know, it's, I don't think it's as helpful to say, well, we need to stimulate this species by eating sure, this. Sure. Tell people everything is going to come out, you know, the right. way could be if we're eating that nutrient spectrum and we're eating a diversity of food groups and we're eating, you know, some starchy vegetables, but mostly non-starchy vegetables and some fruits and, you know, maybe some whole grains if that works for your body. And so just a diverse diet leads to a diverse microbiome. And I think that that's something where, especially I see people that are working or they are real into their career, they get really stuck and they make the same thing for lunch every day and they eat the same kind of things for dinner because that's what they can batch cook and that's what they're used to preparing. And we have to figure out ways, how can we get foods into your diet that you're not normally eating to support that microbial diversity? Yeah, I love that. I think that I, you know, I think that's an important fact to drive home that like that diversity is going to be really key in, in kind of um, the whole foods approach to building up building up your microbiome again. Whether you're yeah. taking probiotics or you're not taking probiotics, it's it's going to help build everything up to um, kind of hit all the points. Yes, right. absolutely. Absolutely. And then the last thing I'll say just on our, on our happy, healthy period note is that, you know, we've talked about diet and we've talked about estrogen metabolism and this talk, which I think are super important, but there are so many other tools that we can use. And one that I want to you know, just briefly highlight is botanical medicine. And I think that's something that naturopathic doctors and and functional medicine providers can, can really shine is how can we add in some botanicals to help this process too. So 
this it's just the tip of the iceberg what we're talking about today but there are just a vast number of tools that can be utilized to for hormonal balance and just to, to be happy and healthy i love it we'll have to uh, do another a round of like botanical medicines because that's oh my like gosh. that's my jam you know um, yes. and just talk like go nerd crazy on botanic, botanical i love it i could do it all day too <laughs> um, yes. that's awesome so I know you mentioned functional fertility is your Instagram, correct? Mm -hmm. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about what you do? Is that the best place to look you up or? Yep. So I'm, I'm in the process of launching a new website, functionalfertilitydoc.com. So that will have a blog. It'll have recipes. It'll have instructions if you want to work with me. Um, hopefully having a telemedicine platform up soon. So that's where you can find me to learn more. I'm constantly posting things and resources and articles. So that's a, a great place to, to keep your eye on. Beautiful. Functionalfertilitydoc.com. You got it. I think I talked over you while you're saying that. I was, I was so excited. I had to. Woo. So excited. I'm excited too. <laughs> um, and so in the meantime, they can find you at Functional Fertility on Instagram, which I love your Instagram feed. I told Yay, you that before, you. but I'm like, so much fun. I, I stalk you on Instagram in a yes, good way. Please do. <laughs> so everybody please do. follow there. And then when you get your website up, we will link to that as well so that people can find you easily and any fun resources that you have. And this is a pleasure. I love all of it. Yes. So Thank you for letting me talk about the love of my life, which is <laughs> hormones and women's health. It's so nourishing and I had so much fun. Yeah. It's such an important message. So thank you so much for sharing all that with us. And I think it's a new topic for a lot of people, which is super exciting. So exciting. Yes. So exciting. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Synergistic Healing. If you liked it, be sure to rate it and share it with anybody who you think might benefit from it. You can find me at kristinbango.com where you'll learn more about natural health and our natural health group, Synergistic Healing. Until next time.